starts is Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 6. This is, John, this is John the baptizer. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with the leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. How's that? All right, let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you as a people and ask that you would teach us, that we would learn to be humble and yet confident in who you are, and that we could learn from the things that John knew and the things that he believed about you. Help us to be people who learn from you. Amen. Have a seat. We are going through the Gospel of John. If you haven't been here, this is our third week. You can get the other two on our website, ourelement.org. They're free. You get what you pay for. That's how it works. Uh, but so this is the third week in John, and today we're looking at John the Baptizer. Not John the Disciple, the one who wrote the book, but John the Baptizer. We call him John the Baptizer instead of John the Baptist because he wasn't a Baptist. There you go. All right. Uh, a lot of people, I think, have come to John and they tone him down just a little bit because it's like, you know, we just can't have the dude really like he was. Well, we're going to turn him up this morning. Uh, I'm going to let you see who he was. You've got to use your imagination so you can kind of get the idea of, of what he's like. going to use some words in our vernacular. I might offend you. Oh, well, okay. This is just how it's going to go. Um, so I'm going to take all the gospel accounts. I'm going to mash them together and try and get you a picture of who John was, and then we'll go into... John's gospel, looking at who John the baptizer was and what he said. So this starts where most people start. Uh, John the baptizer had a mom and a dad, like you. Uh, His dad's name was Zachariah. Zachariah is a priest. And so John's kind of like a pastor's kid. His mom was Elizabeth, his mom was Elizabeth, and his dad, they were very old people. I told you last week they probably didn't buy green bananas because they wouldn't have become ripe before they thought they were going to die. They have no kids, okay, no kids. And to them that makes them very sad because in the Hebrew culture that is a sign of disfavor from God, not having children. In our culture today kids are seen kind of as a burden. We adopt them out, they get neglected or aborted. But in the Hebrew culture, kids are seen as a great and deep blessing. The more kids you have, the more blessed you are. So Elizabeth has a godly husband, and she wants a baby. So in Luke 1.8, Zechariah's division, he gets called up to go to the temple, and they're supposed to go serve in the temple. And so while he's there, he goes inside to, to serve incense before the Lord. The rest of the priests, they stand outside, and they're praying while he's in alone, and they're alone. Bam! Angel of the Lord shows up. And the angel says, God sees you, he hears your prayers, he's going to answer your prayers, you're going to have a little boy, he's going to be a prophet like Elijah, he will reconcile families, uh, it will be amazing. By the way, call him John, call him John. And so Zachariah's like, are you sure? Because yeah, he's really old, you know, I, I didn't know I could do that anymore, I can make it, uh, this is good. And so he questions the angel, and the angel goes, I'm Gabriel, I'm like the Billy Graham of angels, I'm like the Tiger Wood of angels. Because you didn't believe me, you're going to be silent until the baby's born. And so Elizabeth, his wife, is God, thanks God for the very lovely child she's going to have and the quiet husband. He's like, <laughs> what a great God. It's, he's wonderful. And so at one point, Elizabeth's uh, relative Mary decides to come to visit her. Mary is also pregnant through a miraculous means. She's a virgin. And when virgins get pregnant, and they're not lying about it, it it's a miracle. Okay, so she comes, she says, I'm pregnant. So you have young and old, they come together. And so John the baptizer in Elizabeth's womb, and Jesus in Mary's womb, and when they get close together, John jumps in his mom's womb at coming close to Jesus. It's kind of a beautiful thing. And so John is born a few months before Jesus, and he's raised as the angel instructs, according to Luke 1, 14 and 15. And so the angel actually says in one point, he says, he says, no fermented drink is supposed to touch 
John the baptizer's lips. And this makes sense because later you see John's like a nut, okay? He's, and not in a good way, like you talk to your friends, oh, you're a nut. It's, it's, like, it's not crazy, but he's just kind of nutty. And the last thing you want in a nut is a couple drinks, okay? Seriously, when you read about John, the farther you realize that John would be considered a freak today. You ever drive under an overpass? And you got the guys down that trucker caps, they're unkempt, they're smelly, uh, they don't speak in complete sentences, and they go, I'm a prophet. <laughs> Just me. Okay, so <laughs> they're not prophets, okay? But John and a lot of Old Testament prophets kind of look like that. They're a little unkempt, a little smelly, you know. This guy's John. John's a mountain man. He's, he's like a mountain guy. He lives out in the woods like Grizzly Adams. I was, I was talking to Mikey this week, and I said, Grizzly Adams, and he's all, I've heard it, I don't know. Who, I'm like, who doesn't know? It's sacrilege. Grizzly Adams, you're, this is like the greatest show ever. He lives out in the woods in a cabin with a bear as a pet. I mean, every kid, as, as, dear Jesus, I just want to live in a cabin with a bear as a pet with Spider-Man powers. <laughs> Amen. Right? And that's, and that's him. It's like he, he's out there. This, this is John. Mark 1.6 says John wore camel hair and a big old belt. And you get the idea he's just one of those guys. You're going to go to heaven, I'm going to find out. But I picture John... I got, I got a picture here. Uh, picture. Oh, there you go. Here he is. Okay. I got the big afro, crooked smile, you know, wild eyes, bugs in his teeth. His diet, locusts and honey, bugs and sweets. Okay, bugs and sweets. You can't raise a kid on bugs and sugar and have him turn out completely normal. It's like, honey, what's wrong with their kids? I don't know. John, you want some more bugs? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just... So John's kind of always got this buzz going from a sugar high. Okay, he's just kind of going. At 30, he comes out of the woods to preach. Funky clothes, barefoot, big belt, bugs in his teeth, afro, case of the shakes, maybe from all the sugar, and he's yelling, repent. They're like, oh, John said repent. No, he's like, repent, and he comes out of the woods. Like, and he's like, holy cow. <laughs> it's like it's a World Wrestling Federation guy right there. He's got like this zeal for people. He's into people. And he's like, you know what? You are enemies of God. You are sinful. And you turn from your ways. Follow God. God is upset. The world has a center. And that center is the coming Messiah. But until that Messiah shows up, the world's center is wherever John happens to be, whatever he happens to be saying. John in Luke 3 goes to the political leaders and he says, stop lording your power over people. Knock it off. He goes to the religious leaders and says, you are self-righteous. You are hypocrites. Knock it off. He goes to the leaders of the military. You're extorting from people. Knock it off. God's coming and he's mad. That's what he says. John's not afraid of anyone. And there's a fine line between bold and crazy. And I know you probably have friends that walk that every single day. But that's John. He listens to God, whatever God says, that's what he does. He doesn't care about the consequences. So he calls people to own the darkness in their life. You know, and, then, and then what does he do? He takes them and he baptizes them. He dunks them in water. He takes them down to the river in the Jordan. I got a picture of the River Jordan too. It's kind of murky and nasty. It's like, oh, yeah, I don't want to go. And if people, Christians are like, oh, I want to go get baptized in the Jordan. Have you seen it? It's like, no, I'll go to the pool at Luke's grandma's house. We'll do baptisms there because it's... <laughs> It's much nicer. They take it as a ceremonial cleansing. We realize our sin. We realize who God is. And so we come and we get baptized and our sins get washed away. This is kind of how this works. You have Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament. And he says, the next prophet that shows up after him, the Messiah is coming. 
And so there's 400 years of silence. John shows up as the last Old Testament prophet on the scene, and then Jesus shows up right after him. And it seems that John comes and he asks two questions. He says, do you want to see God? And what are your sins? It's like a freshman football coach or, or a drill sergeant. And this is, this, is, this is my picture, okay? So just go with me. He's like, John's out there and he's like, you want to see God? You want to see God? And you're like, yeah. You know, then what'd you do? What'd you do? What'd you do? I, I, I hit somebody. What else did you do? I, I stole something. And what else? I don't know. You look worse than that. <laughs> what'd you do? Well, I, okay. And he takes a boom and he dunks him under the water. Next. And you're like, just <laughs> like, what do you do? You look more evil than that. You know, sicko. You see John. Many people actually come, they're very liberated by this message because they tell him everything that they did. And they're like, okay, other people, not so happy. You know, they didn't really like his methodology and what he did. Suburban people, you know, I got a counselor and they're really nice and they listen to me. John doesn't really listen. He just kind of yells. Try to talk about my feelings and he's just trying to throw me into the water. <laughs> you know, I, I don't get it. So some people don't like him. One of those people is a guy named King Herod. Herod rules over this area at the time. Uh, he rules for the Romans. And so he's kind of like a wealthy, ruling family, kind of the equivalent of like maybe the mafia. And so Herod's brother has a wife. She is very, very hot. So he takes her as his own woman. And so John pokes him in the eye, figuratively for it. I'm sure if he was close, John would be like, boom! You know, but, but he wasn't. So John like pokes him in the eyes like Herod needs to come to the river. He needs to repent. That's what he needs to do. And so there's some accounts on this in Matthew 14. Herod really likes sleeping with this lady because she's very, very hot. And he wasn't going to give her up. But he's also scared of, of John's followers because they could just be a little unstable with all the sugar and all the bugs. Okay? <laughs> and another thing is that Herod is also a little intrigued about what John has to say. Now, the lady Herod is with doesn't really like John the baptizer at all because most women don't like to be called whores in public, and she was one of those, okay? So she doesn't appreciate it, and it troubles her, so she pressures Herod to kill him. Herod doesn't really want to kill him, so in Matthew 14, 6 through 12, Herod's having a party. She sends her daughter in, young girl, to dance for Herod and his guests, like the Roman version of the spearmint rhino. She dances. Herod is very happy to see a half-naked young little girl. And like most guys who would hang out at a strip club, he goes totally insane. And he says, I will give you half my kingdom. Whatever you want, I will give you. That's a dumb guy. You dance nice, half my kingdom. Here, have it. Daughter goes to mom. Well, what should we do, mom? And the mom says, this is what we're going to do. You're going to go back and ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. So she does. I want John the Baptist. I don't, she's probably like, what does that even mean? But you know, she goes back and she asks. So Herod sends his guys down where John has been held captive, beaten, and they chop his head off, put it on a platter, bring it back. Death of John the Baptist, right there. Last of the Old Testament prophets, dead, head on a platter. Years go by. Some of John's disciples follow Jesus. Some scatter. Some don't even hear about Jesus until later in Acts 18. The apostles show up and they tell them about Jesus. So last week I told you, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they write their Gospels. And then John writes after all those Gospel accounts are written. And so I tell you this so you have the background that all the other people who have known and heard the Gospels knew when John wrote his Gospel. You get the background. You understand why, why John says the things he says and doesn't really bother going over all the history that's already there because people already know that. John starts, Jesus came, light into darkness, truth that showed lies, life came into death. And now you see John the disciple relating John the Baptist and how John the Baptist regarded Jesus. 
And as Jesus comes into the world, people have to deal with who he was, who he is, and what he said. So if your Bible, open to John chapter 1, verse 9. That was my introduction, by the way, a long one. Okay? John 1, 19. And this is where we start. I'm thirsty. It's a lot of effort to yell. What'd you do? 119. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. So John, at this point now, he has a following. People are starting to listen to him. They're starting to perk up. So the religious leaders come and they're like, who are you? You have the lineage of a priest. Like when someone new shows up in our scene, in our town, like Element. And people start calling me and they start going, well, who are you? What do you guys do? What do you, you, you sometimes speak in a t-shirt and shorts and no shoes. Yeah, why would you do that? I didn't think it mattered if God could not be heard through shorts and the t-shirt. And, you know, I'm not out dunking people at Lopez Lake or something. You know, it's like, um, it, I, and people come and they ask. They, what they want to know is, are you a true or a false prophet? A couple years ago, I go to this concert and there's these people out front protesting at this concert. Uh, and I think in their minds, they think they're acting like a prophet. They think they're acting like John the Baptist and they're protesting. But unlike John, you know, where John says we are all evil, we are all bad, we all need to repent, they picked on one group. And so as I'm walking into this concert, these people are holding these signs, and one says, God hates fags. Fags die, God laughs. And I'm walking in going, I'm a pastor, and I want to punch you. <laughs> you know? and, but they think they're functioning as a prophet. And they're not. They're being false prophets because they assume that, that someone's sin is worse than their own. They assume that, oh, all, all those people just get that straightened up, then everything will be better. Not realizing that it's a sin problem in all people. And rather teach about Jesus, they want certain groups to go to hell because they don't believe God's grace can cover certain things. So they, I think they probably read John the Baptist and go, oh, I'm like that guy. But John loved people. And he wanted them to repent so they could be reconciled to God. And they could be clean through Jesus. John was sick of people being chained to destruction and chaos. The religious leaders come and they go to see if John's a false prophet. People at the show were false prophets. Real prophets share good news, not just condemnation. And so John has to be very careful what he says at this moment. Because right now he is more popular than Jesus. Kind of like the Beatles, I guess, at one point. If you're old enough to remember that. So John has gone from this afro sugared up nut to a player okay john's a player and so the religious people are listening the common people are listening the military is listening he's becoming the conscience of a nation and he could say well i am the prophet listen to me i was do i have to say but he doesn't and how he responds shows the attitude of his heart verse 20 he did not fail to confess but confess freely i am not the christ i'm not the redeemer i'm not the one who was to come i'm not that guy i'm not the one you're looking for i can't fix people i'm not the answer but i will point you to the answer they asked him then who are you are you elijah in the old testament elijah is this prophet he gets taken up into heaven in this church he doesn't die god takes him bodily into heaven he never dies and so the jews are looking for elijah to come back in bodily form so are you elijah now think about this okay you are uh, john the baptizer and you want people to hear the message of god how easy is it for you to go yes i am elijah i mean how easy is that because the people are going to go oh and they're going to flock to you and hear what you have to say but he doesn't do that he said i am not are you the prophet 
Deuteronomy 18, Moses says, a prophet is going to come, one like me, from your people that will do the things he did. He will lead you out of bondage. And so right now, Israel is under the bondage to the Romans. So they think someone's going to come and they're going to lead us out. And that's going to be the prophet. So he answers, no, I'm not. Finally, he said, finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And this is beautiful because John never elevates himself. He doesn't proclaim his identity. John never really seems that concerned with John. And so when they ask him this, he quotes Isaiah 40, 40 verse 3, which I think is amazing. And I got to think, where does John learn this? Where does he learn scripture like that? That a prophet is not to be governed by arrogance and pride, but a prophet is supposed to have a deep longing for God. I think John gets that from his parents from his mom and his dad. The angel shows up. It's miraculous. And now his dad says, I'm going to teach you about God, 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 God. I'm going to teach you these scriptures. You're going to memorize these things. I'll tell you, if you're a dad in this room, I'll hammer on you just for a minute because your kids and your family, your responsibility, you are the pastor of your family. That's how it works. It's, we hire James to, to work with youth. But it is not James's job to tell your kids about God. It is yours. It is yours. When the angel tells Zechariah what he's supposed to do with John, John, or his dad does it. What the modern church wants to do is they want to employ all of these people to do a job that parents are supposed to do. It is not a youth minister's job to teach your kids to pray. It's yours. It is not a youth minister's job to teach your kids scriptures. It is yours. It is not a youth minister's job to teach your kids how to love God. It is yours. It is your job. The youth minister is supposed to come along beside you as part of your family to help these things take place, to help you get to where you need to be. But it's not their job. That's yours as a dad. John's parents do this, and John turns out as this humble guy who loves God and bugs and sugar, okay? But he loves God, and he only listens to what God wants him to do. He says, I'm not important. I'm not anything. Verse 23, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, chapter 40, verse 3, I am the voice of one calling in the desert to make straight the way for the Lord. I'm just a voice. Listen to what I say. Follow Jesus. Now, in these days, roads and highways were not very nice. Like if you went and drove, maybe you driven to Mexico, just like that, downtown Tijuana. It's like, you know, it's, it's just like that. And so what happens is when a king was going to go through an area, they would send a herald. And the herald would run through the area and say, the king is coming, the king is coming, make straight his paths. So people would come out of the town, and they would fill in all the potholes, they would clean in the debris, they would stand along the sides of the road. So when the king came down, the paths were straight, and he could ride over and not be in his, like this. So John says, that's me. The king is coming. The king is coming. Make straight his paths. Fill in the potholes of your lives. He's coming. He's coming. Get baptized. Now some Pharisees who had been... This is verse 24, sorry. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Again, so the Levites come, and now the Pharisees come. The Pharisees are like the, the Bible scholars. Now Pharisees, good guys or bad guys? Yes, both. Okay, they're both. The problem with the good guys is they always turn out somehow to be the bad guys, and the bad guys always think they're the good guys, and it's just... Oh, convoluted. The Pharisees start out as like this back to the Bible club, which was a good thing. But they eventually become so stuck to their rules and their legalism that they leave God behind in their rules and their legalism. Easy to become a Pharisee. We've got to be really careful. So they were like, we're sick of people not taking God seriously. We want people to take God seriously. That could be a good thing, but they take it too far. So they make rules to explain God's rules and then rules to explain those rules. And eventually they lost God in the rules. Till one day, Jesus and his disciples are out. They're, they're walking through this field. One of his disciples looks over and he picks a head of grain and he eats it. And a Pharisee is there and a Pharisee says, Sinner, you're working. 
a weed. I'm eating a weed. It doesn't look like gainful employment to me. But that's what the Pharisees did. They were more concerned about their rules. They had this rule that said if your ox falls in a hole on the Sabbath, if, if he's not going to die, if, his, if he's not going to die in the hole, if his neck's not broken, then you can't pull him out to the next day. So what do you do? Oh, hey, ox, are you okay? Do I need to pull you out? You're going to make it to tomorrow? Yeah. I mean, I... <laughs> You see how dumb that is? That's the Pharisee. They're caught up in their stupid rules. The later, and I love this. They, they're always coming, the Pharisees, asking Jesus questions, and Jesus is just always tweaking them. And you've got to read the Bible with sarcasm and humor because Jesus was a great, sarcastic guy. And just how he did with the Pharisees, I'm always like, because ah, ah, I'm like that, and it makes me feel better, and I'm not in sin because I'm sarcastic. You know, and Jesus, he always says this to them. He always says, he says, you, you don't leave room for the Spirit of God because your rules choke him out. That's what they say. So these Pharisees come to John. Okay, John, now you're done with theologians. Here we go. Let's get on with it. Uh, the Pharisees had been sent, questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? You can't just go around dunking people like a donut, especially Jews. It's because they believed that it was everybody else who needed to get baptized. You know, the, all the pagans and the Gentiles, but not Jews. Jews didn't need to get baptized. But John's baptizing everybody, religious people, Jews, Gentiles, everyone. Verse 26, I baptized with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. The most menial job for a slave at that time is untying sandals and washing people's feet. He's like, you might think I'm great, but I am nobody. I am nobody. So John had great humility in terms of who Jesus was. Verse 28, this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Again, so here's the picture, okay? John, what'd you do? What'd you do? Boom. What'd you do? Give it to me. Boom. And all of a sudden he looks up and over the hill comes Jesus. Walking over the hill. This is verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For a Jew, that's an amazing statement. An amazing statement because John is a priest's son. And the whole temple had been set up for years with this bloody sacrificial system where they slaughtered these animals and the blood would flow out the back of the temple like a river. And people say, well, how is that going to fix anything? It doesn't. It was a picture. The whole system was to point to the type of death Jesus was going to die for people. For sin, a pure, unblemished lamb was taken by the priest, and they would slaughter it brutally. Isaiah 52 and 53 says that Jesus was like a sheep before his shearers. Jesus is the lamb of God slain for people. Every evil thing that was ever done was laid on him, and he is the perfect lamb of God that takes away our sin, and then God declares us clean. So John's dunking, dunking, dunking. People are like, oh, what do I do with that? What do I do? You need that guy right there. And he points to Jesus and says, that is the guy that we all need. You want to get clean? You need him. Verse 30. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He was born before Jesus, and yet Jesus is eternal. He says, I myself did not know him, and I think this is because he was Jesus' cousin. Okay? I, I think they probably hung out at family events as kids. You know, Jesus is there. You got John's the kid hopped up on bugs and sugar. And as cousins like to do, alpha male, they're trying to beat each other up. And I'm sure John's going, oh, oh, I suplex God. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's like, boom, ha, Jesus. You know, it's like, oh, my goodness. 
And he re- now he realizes it. He says, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. All that John was doing, all that he was preaching was so people could see Jesus. Verse 32, it says, Then John gave this testimony. And this, I think, is John reminiscing about that time now. This is John the Baptist looking back. Matthew chapter 3, Jesus comes to get baptized, and John says, Whoa, uh, you should be baptizing me. You haven't sinned. Why am I going to baptize you? And there's lots of speculation about this. Why would Jesus get baptized by John? I think Jesus does it to identify with John's ministry. Because what you see after Jesus gets baptized, the entire ministry of John, everything transfers to Jesus. And then Jesus' ministry starts from there. The baton gets passed. John is preparing the way, but Jesus is the way. So John baptizes Jesus, and the Spirit in the form of a dove comes down. The Father speaks from heaven and says, This is my Son. This is my Son. And in that moment, you see the totality of God commissioning Jesus into public ministry. A rabbi who came and had new words to speak had to be uh, validated by two witnesses. So here you see God and John the Baptist validating Jesus. I can't think of two better to do that. Verse 32, Then John gave this testimony. I thus saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. John's out in the wilderness doing whatever he's bugs, searching for bugs and, and honey out there. And God shows up, you're going to go baptize. Jesus is going to come. You're going to be Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 to this nation. And you'll tell them Jesus is coming and be cleansed. And he says, and the man on whom you see the Spirit come down, that's him. And so when God says, this is my son, John's like, I've heard this voice. He's the one that told me to do this. And all of a sudden he goes, this is the guy. This is Jesus. And he says, I have seen and testify that this is the son of God. God becomes a man. John comes. He gets people wet, baptizing them. But Jesus comes to make them new creations. He offers them new life, complete cleansing and healing for sins in our lives, sins that you have committed and sins that have been committed against you, all healed in the person of Christ. And in Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus says this of John. He says, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Amazing words. Not Enoch, not Moses, not Elijah, not Jeremiah, not Paul, not John the disciple. They might be equal, but no one is greater. It's amazing. So what did John do that was so great? Lived in the woods, ate bugs, comes out as a freak, yells at people, gets them wet, gets his head cut off. We could do that. I think that's attainable for a lot of people. This could be your thinking part for this week. You know, what made John so great? I think it was the combination of courage and humility. Courage and humility. No one was as courageous as John. Nobody. No bodyguards, no backing, just this knowledge that the Messiah is coming. And everybody needs that Messiah. Everybody needs Jesus and get their sin dealt with. John pokes the government, the military, the religious establishment in the eye. But John has complete humility. He says, I'm not anything. I am just a voice. He later says, I must decrease so he can increase. I think one of the reasons God let John die in prison was that people were beginning to idolize John, turn him into an idol. You know, I, it's like today people do this. They, they say, oh, well, well, I go to this church. I go to so-and-so's church. And I'm like, this is Jesus' church. People say a lot about here. They're like, oh, I see you started your church. And I go, it's not my church. It's Jesus' church. And they're all, ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, I'm not kidding. 
I'm dead serious. It's not my church. It's not Eric's church or Tom's church. This is Jesus' church. That's what it is. People go like, well, I like listening to so-and-so and so-and-so. I'm like, ah, it is Jesus. Everything we do is about Jesus. It's like, I say this a lot. We got one drum that we beat, and that drum is Jesus. I got like one song. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's like, boy, this song gets old. No, it doesn't get old. It's Jesus. That's the point. At this moment in John's life, he has a larger following than Jesus. And he could have been a tremendous problem, just like you and I. God takes us, sends us into the world as, as his ambassadors. And we sometimes have tremendous problems to God. It's why people in the world look at Christians and they go, well, what's wrong with those people? Yeah, because we're a tremendous problem to God. Because we don't like to be nothing. We don't like to be humble. We don't like to be that. John knows he's not the Savior. John knows he couldn't take care of the sin problem. John knows that only Jesus can. So he did all he can to point to Jesus. I, as your pastor today, I come to you and tell you, you are wicked, you are sinful, and you are worse than you could possibly imagine. How's that? I'm a Calvinist. Uh, but I think, sometimes I think the, the Calvinistic doctrine of total depravity is for optimists. Because we are so bad. We are so bad. And Jesus is so good. So I point you to Jesus because he is the one who will cleanse and renew and heal and draw us to God. It is Jesus. And now you, it is your job this morning to also be John and live in such a way that Jesus is seen in a dark world. Jesus is more important than you, so we show who he is. We must recognize the areas in our lives that are dark and crooked and depraved and realize that we cannot heal ourselves, we cannot fix ourselves, and that we have to commit ourselves to Jesus because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And your invitation is to respond to Jesus as John responded to Jesus. Just like that, we live with courage and we stop being self-righteous hypocrites and we get out of God's way. I'm not telling you got to go eat bugs and honey okay, and live in the desert and you know, wear a big old belt and have a bear as a pet. Okay? That's not what I'm telling you. But you do have to get yourself out of the place of God. You have to. And let Jesus be who he is. We need to be like John and live and love God's words. We have to be like John. So we come to the place where we have courage and humility to say, it's not us. It is Jesus. And I told you two weeks ago about John the disciple's testimony. His whole thing was about God's going to do great things and people and you too can have stories. I mean, John the baptizer, he's like, man, it is all about Jesus. He was not confused. Sometimes we get that way. And at Element, every week we come and we take communion. And I think communion is a good way for people to get clear on who Jesus is and who we are. Because it allows us time to refocus. You know, we break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. We dip it in wine or grape juice to remember the sacrifice that he gave for us, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world so that we can be redeemed and have a relationship with God again. I mean, that's the point of communion. It is a place of confidence because Jesus died for us and he loves us. And it's a place of humility because we can't do it. Only he can this morning, my admonition, guys, live like John the baptizer, confident but humble in who he is. The band's going to come up. And like I said, we're going to worship God through communion. I'm going to worship God through prayer. If you're in a place this morning, you're like, man, 
I need this place where, where I can come and see who Jesus is and, and be confident and humble in who he is because I'm not that way right now. There'll be elders in the back of the room that will pray for you. We're going to worship God through some songs. Sean's going to lead some more songs. And as he does that, it gives you a chance to reflect on who he is, on who God is, who Jesus has done in your life. Uh, we're going to worship God uh, through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall and in the back of the room. Uh, we're going to worship God through fellowship. When we're done, you guys can hang out and talk to each other and spur each other on to be humble and, and have a whole lot of courage in who Jesus Christ is. That's my admonition for you. You go out these doors, you be John. It's like somebody's cell phone just went off. <laughs> you be like John. Not like, what'd you do? <laughs> you know. But you be like John, and you're like, you know what? Jesus is what you need, because he is what we all need. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would help us to be courageous and yet humble, to live in a place of humility, to hold on to the things that you have given us, and to truly love you. God, you have come to love us, and I ask that we would learn just simply how to love you back. As we come to this place of communion and introspection and I ask that all the introspection that we begin with today is not just about ourselves because our worship is to bring you glory. Help us to be those who hang on to you because you have sought us and you are holding on to us. Help us to love you because you have first loved us. Amen.